I wonder if there's ever been a time in your life when you have been ambivalent towards the church. Uh, maybe you were disappointed in the church you were attending. Maybe you got to a place where you felt, I really don't need it, uh, and maybe you just felt you didn't want to go. I have some dear friends who were very needlessly hurt in the church that they attended. Uh, eventually, many years later, it was rectified, but not until they had to go through a very painful time. And a seasoned pastor finally said to them, you just need to leave your church. And in their search for a new church, they found it to be very, very difficult. And one day, uh, many years uh, later, the wife said to me, we understand why people just give up. She said it was very tempting just to stay home. But they didn't. And I'm glad they didn't. And at the end of this message, I'm going to tell you why. I don't know where you are today in your feelings about the church, but I want to encourage you to love the church. What God says about the church, he says about no other group. The church is one of the greatest gifts God has given. Uh, somebody has well said the church has many critics, but it has no rivals. And that's true. And somebody else has said, anyone can love the ideal church. The challenge is to love the real church. That's the challenge, isn't it? And when I'm finished today, I hope that you will say, I want to love the church, and I want to be committed to the church. Now this morning, I want to begin a message that will end the series that I've been doing on the church. The message will be in two parts. And it comes from 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles with me this morning. And the title of this message that we'll start today, conclude next week, is Why the Church is So Special. Now we have one question as we come to this text. Why is it so special to belong to the church? And as I read this passage that Peter gives to us, he really gives us two answers about why the church is so special. We'll look at the first one today and then the second one next week. So you follow along in your Bibles as I read 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 4. And listen to what God's Word says. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense... They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our question, why is it so special to belong to the church? Now, here's the first answer we want to look at today that Peter gives. The church is a spiritual house that Christ is building. That's why it is such a special thing to belong to. It is a spiritual house that Christ is building. Now, the very first thing we notice in verse 4 is this description of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Uh, you'll notice that Peter says he was rejected by men. That's clearly referring to the crucifixion. In fact, Jesus used this very words of his own crucifixion in Luke 17, 25. But then Peter says he's living, and that's clearly a reference to the resurrection. Three days later, he rose from the dead victorious over the grave. And then Peter says he is chosen and he is precious, and that clearly includes the ascension of Jesus and his exaltation as King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, later on in verses 6 and 7, he says, The stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone chosen and precious. Jesus was vindicated and he was exalted to the highest place. In fact, what does the Bible say? He was exalted far above all rule, all power, all authority, all dominion, and every name that is named. Now what is Peter doing here? Well, isn't he giving us the gospel in a nutshell? Isn't this the gospel in a nutshell here in verse 4? This is why he says to us, we must come to him. He was rejected and died to bear our punishment so that we could be reconciled to God. He was raised to life and he is living so we now can have new life in him that will be eternal. And he was exalted to the highest throne to redeem and rule a lost world for God. This is the gospel. And this is why Peter says we must come to him. Now, I have to ask this question, why here is Jesus called a living stone? What a unique title for Jesus. He is a living stone. Why does Peter use that title? Well, what he's doing is he's making a play on words on his own name. Uh, you know that the word Peter, Petros, means a rock or a stone. And remember one day, uh, Jesus said to the disciples, uh, who are people saying that I am, and who do you say that I am? Mark 16, and, or Matthew 16 and verse 13. And remember how Peter spoke up, and he was speaking for all of the disciples. And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then Jesus gave this promise. He said, you are Peter, Petros. 
And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. And the question for us is, what is the rock that Jesus is building the church on? Well, you know, there are three interpretations that have been given of the rock. And all of them have an element of truth. For example, some say that Peter and the apostles were the rock that Jesus was building his church on. And there's an element of truth in that. The Bible says they were the foundation of the church because God used them to begin Jesus' church. But then there's a second interpretation, and that interpretation is Peter's affirmation that he just made about Christ is the rock. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there is some truth in that. Because the affirmation that we find in the completed Word of God about who Christ is and what he is doing and accomplishing is the foundation that is once for all laid for the saints of God in God's Word. But then there's a third interpretation. And the third interpretation is Christ himself is the rock because he's the cornerstone that is the most essential stone in the building. Now, as I said, all three of those interpretations have elements of truth in them, but I want you to notice Peter draws attention to the last one, doesn't he? He says, Jesus is the living stone. In verse 8, he calls him the rock. And everyone who comes to him, as Peter obviously did, Peter says in verse 5, can become like living stones. In other words, Peter's experience with Christ can be our experience. We can confess Christ come to him in repentance and faith and become alive in Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice something very, very important. Christ has a purpose in all of this. And the purpose is found in verse 5. It is so that we can be built up as a spiritual house. That's the goal. God's intention is to build a spiritual house made up of born-again saints. Now, I just want to stop here for just a moment. Have you ever seen the church like this? Have you ever seen it in this way? Crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, Exaltation all happened so that Christ could form his church. He would form a spiritual house of born again believers for his own glory. Now, brothers and sisters, there is no question that our salvation is for our sakes. But there is something far, far greater in our salvation than just what happens for us. 
And what that greater thing is, is that through our salvation, Christ forms a spiritual house, a body of believers on earth who are designed to bring Him glory and the ultimate purpose of crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and exaltation is that he might form a spiritual house that he is building for his glory. Have you ever seen the church like that? Now so special is this to Peter that he tells us this was God's plan all along. In verses 6 through 8, he strings together three Old Testament quotations to show us this was always God's plan. And I want you to notice how he introduces these quotations in verse 6. My Bible says this in verse 6, for it stands in Scripture. Now, do you know this is the only place in the New Testament where this phrase, it stands in Scripture, is found, and the English Standard Version that I'm using this morning is a very, very good translation. You see, normally when an Old Testament quote is given in the Bible, this is what we read, it is written, or Scripture says... But this phrase, it stands in Scripture, is unique. You know what Peter wants us to understand? It was predicted, it was fulfilled, and it stands for all time. You can stand on this. You can be sure about it. Because what the Old Testament said would happen, did happen in Jesus Christ. Now I want to tell you here this morning, this is one of the reasons why I have total confidence and trustworthiness in the Bible. I agree with what Billy Graham one time said. He said, there are many things in this book that I do not fully understand. And I would say, amen, Billy Graham, I agree with you. But I have total confidence in this book because what it foretold would happen did happen and therefore it stands as true. Now I want you to notice in this string of Old Testament quotes, Peter tells us that three things were prophesied about Christ and those three things are true and stand for us today. Let me give them to you, all right? Number one, Jesus is God's supreme stone. Jesus is God's supreme stone. In verse 6 and 7, he quotes from Isaiah 28, 16 and Psalm 118, verse 22. And notice what he says. The Old Testament tells us, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And then verse 7, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That phrase, Mount Zion, sometimes is used symbolically for God's people. So these two prophecies foretold Jesus would become the cornerstone of God's people. Here's the second prophecy that stands as true. Jesus is believer's solid stone. 
Jesus is believers' solid stone. Look again at the end of verse 6 and quoting again from Isaiah 28:16, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now we have learned that the cornerstone was the most important stone in an ancient building. If the cornerstone was solid and secure, the entire building would be safe and secure. You know what this is telling us? Jesus is dependable. Jesus will never fail us. He will never put us to shame. He will never disappoint us. By the way, are there a lot of things in this world that will disappoint us? Let me ask you, will the church ever disappoint us? Will the pastor ever disappoint us? Will members ever disappoint us? Yes, they will. Will elders ever disappoint us? Of course they will. But Jesus Christ will ultimately never disappoint us. Yes, there will be disappointments in this world, but ultimately in eternity, we will know it was worth it to follow Jesus in the fellowship of his church because ultimately he will not disappoint our faith. Now notice the third thing that was foretold and stands true. Jesus is non-believer's stumbling stone. Jesus is non-believer's stumbling stone. Down in verse 8, Peter quotes from Isaiah 8.14. He says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now here's the imagery. It's builders who are working on a construction site. And they see a stone that they deem to be unworthy for their building, so they cast it aside. But then later, as they're working on the construction site, they stumble over that very stone and end up injuring themselves. And so what's the Bible teaching us? Many people will reject Jesus as unworthy. But ultimately, ultimately, their stumbling over him will be eternally fatal because in the end, he will judge those who reject him. Now, I want you to ask you this morning for just a moment to look at this with me. And I want you to, just with me for a moment, look at a few questions. And here's what I want to do. You be the jury, all right? I'm going to ask you these questions, and you be the jury. And you tell me, do these prophecies that were foretold stand today and are they true based upon the evidence as to what happened with Christ? Are you ready? Here's question number one, jury. Was Jesus rejected by the very ones who thought they were building God's kingdom? What's your verdict? Yes. Question number two, did God show that despite it, Jesus was chosen and precious by resurrecting and exalting him? Jerry, what's your verdict? Yes. Question number three, have multitudes come to him in faith and found him to be the sure foundation stone of their lives? Jerry, what's your verdict? Hey, you know what I want to say today? You're a pretty sharp jury. You have followed the evidence very well. 
And what does all this lead to? Is the Bible true and trustworthy? Is Jesus a wonderful Savior? Is His church a very special place to be? Think about this. That God would prepare all of this, predict it ahead of time, and then fulfill it in Jesus, and then bring us as His children into His church is awesome. It's awesome that God would prepare all of this from eternity past, predict it years ahead of time, fulfill it in Christ so that today it stands as true so that we could be brought into the fellowship of His church by faith and repentance in His name. Brothers and sisters, it is awesome. It is awesome. And so awesome that Peter cannot help but give us a thumbnail summary of what it means to be the church. It's as though he is so excited he cannot contain himself, so he runs through it all again and he says, I understand this was one day limited to Israel, but now today it is open to all God's people, Jews and Gentiles, who belong to his church. And so he runs through it all again. We are selected, verse 9, a chosen race. We are serving, verse 9, a royal priesthood. We are set apart, verse 9, a holy nation. We are secure, a people for his own possession, verse 9. And we are saved, we have received mercy. Do you see what he's doing? That's a thumbnail sketch, a summary of what the church is. We're selected, we're serving, we're set apart, we're secure, and we're saved. That's what it means to belong to the church. Do you see the answer to this question? Why is it such a special thing to belong to Christ's church? It's because we are a spiritual house that he is building. Now I told you at the beginning of this message that I would share with you what happened to that couple who were hurt very deeply in their church, had to leave, and found it very hard to find a new church. Eventually, they settled in the church that I was pastoring, and they came there for a number of reasons. The interesting thing is they came during a very stressful time in our church office. And you say, Pastor, how stressful was it? Well, it was so discouraging and so difficult that Ellen and I took a month off and went to Florida just to get away from the stress in the office. And one day while we were in Florida, the phone rang and I picked it up and it was one of my colleagues. 
And he said, this wife is an experienced secretary and she's interested in our secretarial position. I was elated. I was elated. Hire her. Hire her. And they did. And I can still remember this in Florida. The burden I was carrying rolled off my back and disappeared. And the sense of relief I felt is vivid to me this very day. For the next 10 years, she became our church secretary. And all the problems in that office were resolved. She was exactly what we needed. And I'm so glad she and her husband did not give up on the church. Why? Because the church is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, a people that have received mercy. And when we are the church in that way to each other, we are a great blessing. We are a great blessing. And that's why it is so special to belong to the church. If you're in a place where you are ambivalent towards the church, maybe disappointed, maybe are wondering whether you ought to be a part of it or ought to go, you need to look at the church again. And you need to see what God says about it. And we are in the church not because we're not going to be disappointed. We are in the church because Jesus is the head of the church. We're in the church because of him and his glory. That's why we belong. Now next Sunday, as we give the second answer to this question, we're going to look at a precious truth called the priesthood of all believers. And Peter deals with that precious truth, and it's the second answer as to why the church is such a special place. But I don't know about you, I've got enough to chew on right now. How about you? And so let's bow before the Lord, and let's thank Him for His truth. Father, it is absolutely true. The church has many critics, but it has no rivals. And the challenge is not to love the ideal church, 
the challenge is to love the real church. And it is far bigger than us. It is about Christ and His glory. It is about His crucifixion, His resurrection, His ascension, His exaltation, far above all rule, power, authority, and dominion, and every name that can be named. So that He is building a spiritual house of born-again saints who are to resound to His glory. And because it's all about Him, we dare not make it about us, but instead in awe and gratefulness, give ourselves to the fellowship of His church. Father, I pray today for anyone here or anyone watching who may not know Christ as Lord and Savior. Peter gives the invitation, come to him. Just come. Repent of your sins. Cast yourself in faith upon the Savior. Let him be to you Savior and Lord. And then as you follow him, you will indeed be a part of his people in this world until he comes. We love you today, Lord Jesus Christ. And we love what you love, the church of the firstborn. The one who said, I am, was dead, but I came to life, and I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and hell. And so thank you. We love you today, Lord Jesus, for your sake. Amen.